Welcome to the Compass Catholic Changemaker podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kano. On this podcast, we talk about how to live with our money as Catholics. Hi, Changemakers. This week's podcast episode is from a webinar I recently did with the St. Philip Institute in Tyler, Texas. I was asked to do a presentation on the topic of marriage and money. This entire presentation was about an hour and a half, so I just pulled out my husband's and my personal story and a segment about money communication tips that work for my husband and me and that you can use in your marriage right away. I hope you enjoy. God bless. I am married to a wonderful, handsome, very cute pilot named Andy. He and I were married in our early 20s, and we actually did all of our marriage prep in Corpus Christi. He was stationed out in Kingsville, Texas, and um, we did our marriage prep there. And I remember going to our pre-Cana retreat, and we were told by one of the very sweet couples who was doing a presentation during our retreat that money was going to be probably the most significant source of conflict in our marriage. And that's all they said. Like, this is going to be a problem. Have fun. And that was the extent of what they said. And Andy and I, we listened politely. Like we were nice. We sat there, totally didn't agree. We are like, okay, whatever. That's fine. But what we thought we had more in common than different about money. We both came from middle-class, really hardworking families. Andy had gone to a service academy, so he didn't have any student loan debt. I fell into this really sweet scholarship where um, I had a full ride from a state school, so I didn't have any student loan debt. We were both pretty frugal people. We share the same values. We both really valued our Catholic faith. And we just thought like, okay, we're, we're, we've outsmarted this. Like we know better than that. And we're not going to have conflict. Or if we do have conflict, we'll just talk it out because love conquers all, right? Like we don't need to have a strategy. So we um, set our vows on April 22nd, 2006 at the Naval Academy Chapel. And we said for richer or for poor, as we all say, right? And we started our married life thinking money wasn't going to be a problem for us. I quickly, after we uh, got married, stopped earning a paycheck. We had a few back-to-back military moves. I think we had three moves our first year of marriage. And we welcomed our first son um, nine months and one day after our wedding. So I stopped working very quickly and just shifted gears into being a military spouse and and raising our our new baby, um, Brian Matthew. And Andy got orders to move to a base in Arizona. We were really excited about this. We planned on living in base housing. It was supposed to be beautiful and all our friends were moving out there. And we found out that someone in the base housing office totally screwed up the wait list, um, did something royally (laughs) messed up. I'm not quite sure what they did, but all of a sudden this new base housing had a wait list of a year and a half. So all those friends that we were moving out to Arizona with, we all got together and decided we were going to purchase homes in the same neighborhood because we wanted to be together. The husbands were going to deploy, the the wives could be, you know, um, within the same neighborhood and help each other and be our support network. So we went ahead and purchased our first um, cute little starter home. 
we were qualified by a loan for a loan and all of our friends and all of our family told us that real estate is always a good investment. It's never a bad investment. Real estate never depreciates, right? And that was in October of 2007 in Arizona. So I see some people cringing. You all know where this is going, right? Like 2007 in Arizona. So after moving to Arizona, we were still in this like honeymoon phase. We were getting settled in the house and my baby was just a really good baby. He was easy. He napped, he went to bed early and everything else. And I wanted to do something besides changing diapers and decorating our cute little starter home. So my husband suggested I volunteer at this organization called Navy Mooring Coralie Society. They give financial literacy resources and interest-free loans and grants to service members. When they come in asking for an interest-free loan or grant, they have to get some remedial financial counseling. And so that's where I came in as a volunteer. I had a business background. Um, I had a few hours throughout the day to volunteer. So it was like a really natural fit. So I remember sitting across from these sailors and Marines who had come in for an interest-free loan or grant, and they were paralyzed with financial stress, paralyzed. And it's a really sad thing to see a really fit young man wearing a uniform sobbing. Like it just kind of like jars you to your core, right? So I remember sitting across from them, they'd be agitated, they'd be distracted, they would be full of emotion about money. And I remember just thinking how sad it was that these young sailors and Marines, these young men and women were going to be going across the world. And keep in mind, this was 2007, 2008, like things were hot going on across the world. There was stuff going on. People were dying. It was a pretty serious time. And they were going to be going across the world to defend our country and work for us. And they were burdened with debts they could not afford. It was usually car loans at 28, 30%. It was usually credit cards. Like it was, you know, there was some repeating patterns I would see over and over again. And I thought stupidly now, now that I know all this stuff and this has been my career field, that if I told them what to do, they would have this like beautiful Oprah aha moment. And they'd be like, oh, that's why I'm broke. And they would go ahead and correct all their behavior and they would start their journey to financial wellness. That like rarely ever happened. And come to think of it, I don't think it actually even happened once. Like it didn't happen. Knowing better rarely ever equates to doing better when it comes to our finances. That experience was 11 years ago now. Since that time, I've earned accreditations. I've worked with hundreds of clients. I've designed financial wellness programs, content. Um, I was on the leadership team of a nationwide financial program, and I've run, I've read stacks and stacks of books on personal financial wellness. I've contributed to articles, blogs, textbooks, and essentially like I've become a financial wellness expert. But also in the past 11 years, I've learned firsthand what it feels like to have your net worth plummet to be at the mercy of banks during an unprecedented recession and to feel like all of your power has been ripped away. It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling at all. That cute little starter home that Andy and I purchased, um, we purchased it for $262,000, which for a 24 and 25 year old was a lot of money that would drop in value by nearly half. 
we got orders to move to Corpus Christi. So we moved out to Texas and we couldn't find tenants without taking a loss of at least $1,000 a month. So when you are on a single income and you are growing your young Catholic family, that jarred us to our core. It was a huge loss. We could never um, qualify for short sales because we were told by the banks because we could make the payment, we would have to miss a payment to show that we were going to be eligible for a short sale. Missing a payment would trash my husband's credit and his job as a fighter pilot was dependent on his credit because of the security clearances with the military. So this was jarring and it created a feeling of being stuck with consequences of a combination of bad financial decisions and just really bad luck when it came to our timing of our purchase of our first starter home. And so ironically, although my career centered on financial wellness, Andy and I would find ourselves in disagreement on money issues. So that like cocky young couple who got married thinking like, yeah, sure, we're, we're good. You know, we don't need to have a, we're not concerned about our, our money communication. We would have disagreements on money issues. Like it, it came to that. So the great recession wasn't either one of our faults. These, these were decisions that were made years before we ever made that decision to make that starter home or buy that starter home. But the tension was there all the same. And it was so frustrating that even when this was my chosen career field, even I was stressed about money. So I would sit across from those sailors and Marines when I first started volunteering from a you know, position of feeling like I was superior or that I knew more that they did, that I just had to give them all of my knowledge. And really that road of navigating, having that huge financial burden and having that house that never recovered value, it never did. That was the most humbling experience and what a blessing in hindsight. Um, Andy and I aren't the only ones who know how pervasive financial stress can be. Most Americans, I want to say it's close to 80% are living paycheck to paycheck. So just let that soak in. Near 80% are paycheck to paycheck. About half of them are unable to handle a $400 emergency without either selling something or taking on debt. So that's running over a nail and having to get two new tires on your car, right? Or in Texas, it'd be hitting a pothole because I remember those potholes pretty significantly. Um, the average credit card balance per person is near $7,000. Couples, you combine that. So it's like near 14, I want to say close to 15. The average student loan debt balance is $56,000. And the average car loan is almost $28,000. Debt is causing young adults to delay marriage and having children. Um, and young men and women who are feeling the call to religious life are delaying their discernment process or walking away from it entirely due to their debt loads. Um, student loan debt is the number one reason why people delayed the discernment process. And the organizations that help these young men and women with um, their student loans, they are estimating that we're losing half of our potential vocations to debt. So if I were the devil, I would work through debt. We're losing half our priests and sisters because of this debt load. All right. So the Catholic church is going to experience the consequences of this for generations to come. If we're losing half of our religious to debt load, going back to my personal story, after many twists and turns, we had three more children. We now have um, four, we have two boys, two girls. They're all wonderful blessings. 
Andy and I learned a new way of dealing with our personal finances. As is true with any other aspect in our lives, turning to God is always the right answer, especially with our finances. As two cradle Catholics, we only heard the word steward in the context of fundraising. And what we learned after we participated in a Faith and Money Matters Bible study, stewardship goes beyond the annual capital campaign and stewardship goes beyond fundraising. Stewardship is how we interact with every single dollar. Um, If you think about the whole timeline of mankind, we are here for like a speck on that timeline. Who are we to think that we own everything that comes our way and everything that's entrusted to us? So stewardship and that mentality of stewardship gave us our own beautiful Oprah aha moment. We have learned more and more as we've gotten into it. um, We kind of give the term financial discipleship to it now because we've learned that Catholics do have a, there's like an emotion they bring to the word stewardship. So we're going to use the term financial discipleship throughout this presentation, but that financial discipleship mentality shift changed everything for us. It was the perspective shift that Andy and I needed to move forward in our financial situation. Going from that, we're going to talk about money communication techniques. We want to be proactive about how we talk to our spouse about money. We want to do it proactively. We want to do it regularly. We want to do it with intention. So Before I mentioned that Andy and I were both from two middle-class, hardworking families, we thought we were good because we had that in common. Turns out there's actually a lot more to it than that. (laughs) And there's actually whole fields of study based on money communication techniques. So if you're someone that struggles with money communication, I think it's important that you be kind to yourself about this. We have ancient brains. Our brains have not evolved much past the caveman stage. So if you think about like what the caveman had to go through, what a blessing that God gave them these like amazing tendencies to want to be communal and want to share and they want to consume all their food when it was there because they didn't know when food was going to come again, right? All these different things that work to keep us alive for thousands and thousands of years And it was a blessing from the Lord that we had these tendencies. Now, when we have surplus and we're not facing famine, some of these things can work against us. So it's important that we're aware of them and that we are kind with ourselves because we are still dealing with our ancient brains when we're dealing with this modern economy that really has only come about in the past like 100 years. Okay. Retirement wasn't a thing. It wasn't a thing before. Now it's a thing. So now we have to acknowledge that and take the steps forward to make sure we can make healthy money decisions within the context of our current economy. So families of origin are huge. Do you all remember that term families of origin when you're doing your marriage prep families of origin, not necessarily your biological family, but the family you grew up in that your childhood was centered around. So it turns out that all of our money, attitudes, behaviors, emotions, everything else is largely determined by the age of seven. Think about that for a second. What do you remember from being seven? Like I maybe remember playing with my friends like outside the house riding our bikes. Like there's not much I even remember, but all of my monies, my money, attitudes, behaviors, emotions, everything else was determined by that point. 
It doesn't mean that your habits are determined by age seven. It just means the stuff you bring in is determined by the age. And it's hugely influenced by your family of origin. And I'm not saying this um, to, you know, blame all of our mothers-in-law for like our, our junk that we bring into these money discussions, but it's important that we understand how impactful the, the family of origin is in regards to our money decisions. Here's some questions I want you to think about and um, kind of maybe have some conversations on later on. Um, well, I can probably email these out in the notes, um, but these are things that we need to think about in regards to what we're bringing into our conversations with our spouse that was already determined by the time we even entered school. So the first question I want you to think about, did your family of origin have or use a spending plan? Was that a thing? Were you exposed to it? Or were they just like whiplash? Like what bill is due next? I'll pay attention to that. So was that spending plan something of value in your family? Or did you have the opposite experience of handling, you know, kind of financial whack-a-mole? The next question I want you to think about, did your family of origin budget for one-time expenses? So did they budget ahead for saving for a car or buying that refrigerator that was going to be knee replacing? Or was it something that was always handled with financing? Because that's huge. It seems like something a little bit like trivial. It's really big. So did your family of origin budget for one-time expenses? Did your family of origin overspend on purchases you didn't need? Was that an accepted practice? Was that deemed okay? Did your family of origin purchase items impulsively? Did your family of origin track your spending? We can all make a spending plan, but the tracking, that's where the magic happens, right? Tracking is everything. Did your family of origin save money for things like retirement, emergency fund, or large purchases? Do they have a savings plan? And I want you to take a second and think about the psychological ramifications it can have on a child to either know a safety net was there or to not have any clue that there was a safety net, that if there was a missed bill, that something bad was going to happen. When you think about the security a child needs to feel emotionally sound, that savings plan can be the difference between adrenaline and cortisol being poured on the child's brain or one of like safety and security. So that's a big one. And the next final question I want you to think about, did your family of origin have any debt besides mortgage? Was debt normalized? But what's interesting is even if a family does everything right, you may have developed a feeling of rebellion to their good habits. And vice versa, even if your family did everything wrong, you may have rebelled the other way and now you're overly mindful about your personal finances. So it, what, I'm not, what I'm saying here is not that if your family did everything right, then you are the one that should win every money conversation within your, um, your disagreements. That's not what I'm saying here. It's a matter of being aware of what you're, you're bringing into these conversations. I hope you enjoyed this Compass Catholic Changemaker episode. 
If your parish is interested in having one of us at Compass Catholic come speak to your parishioners about personal finance from an authentically Catholic viewpoint, please email us at info at compasscatholic.org. I also invite you to hit that subscribe button and to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. If you have a story you'd like to share or a topic you want us to focus on on a podcast episode, please email us at podcast at compasscatholic.org. Have a blessed week.